Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fire on Forte. And welcome to Janine Bakehausen. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am absolutely thrilled. This is um, my first, but I'm hoping not my last, doctor who has been awarded an Order of Australian Medal. So <laughs> I'm really honored to have you to have you join us and to share your amazing work. So um, thank you. How are you doing today? Thanks, Hannah. So excited to be here. And funnily enough, the whole OAM thing happened in COVID and I almost missed out because I didn't check my mailbox and a whole bunch of fun things happen as we do these adventures. But yeah, delighted to be here and super excited to share with you about what we're doing with diversity. And I'm going to say upfront, that you are just such a great example of what I regard as fire and forte. So what that is to me is a real convergence of passion, education and skill set, and then bringing that together into purpose. And, you know, when I read about your work, I thought, what an amazing example of that. Someone that has been educated and had a successful career in IT, computing, technology, and then has this passion for bringing more women into that space and then has the courage to go after it and find new ways. I mean, this is your own order of Australia from Fire and Water. It's really great to be kicking off 2023 talking to someone like you. Thanks, Anna. That's really kind. And, and I have a saying, it, it takes a village, right? Like, I mean, I can't be doing this without you, without all of the people that we work with, without so many champions out there. We all need to work together because we all want the same outcomes and the world is a better place to have more women's representation in, you know, decision-making, in building technology, in what our world looks like in the future. Um, in the UN tells us women and girls are being left behind in terms of digital technology. So we absolutely need to intervene to showcase technology to young people, give them access and give them skills and confidence so that they can help build our digital worlds for the future. I was reading your website earlier and read that the description on there says, Janine is mobilizing a tribe of next generation leaders who are committed to solving real world problems with technology. So yeah, can you talk to us about what your mission actually is overall? Absolutely. So it's around enabling women and girls to lead us in technology and lead us in STEM more broadly, so science, tech, engineering, and maths. And, and we've been talking about a skill shortage for the last 20 plus years. We need more women in technical roles, in our technical companies, in decision-making roles. And the dial hasn't really shifted. And it, it's very frustrating for someone who comes from a technology background who knows how capable women are. And I mean, I was just researching imposter syndrome this morning, funnily enough, and the, the history of imposter syndrome and how it affects mostly high achieving women who then question themselves and think that they're not good enough for certain opportunities that come their way. And it's something that many of us experience. And to be honest, it's untrue because as far as I know, no one's ever been found out to be an imposter. Uh, but it's these, these barriers we put upon ourselves to almost keep ourselves back and keep us in a place where we don't get to explore what potential we can bring to the world. So in my experience, particularly with young people and girls, particularly young people care about the world. They want to make a difference. They realize how much we've kind of mustered up as adults and they want to fix that. And they, they really genuinely care and want to make a difference. And the biases they have are not the same as what we have. And they're, they're, the barriers are not the same. So they want to come into this and really do everything they can to make the world better. Interesting. I mean, imposter syndrome is something that I've toyed with a little bit, a lot. And I've now decided it's no longer part of my vocabulary. Um, and I think that that's one thing as you get older, that you, if you feel it, 
then throw that to one side because life is short. I, I mean, that's a that's a personal interpretation of that. But I wondered from your point of view if there's a, any kind of misconception, misperception around technology and and why women aren't getting into it. There's so many layers to your question there, Hannah, and and I think. Part of it, it starts when we're very young. So the research tells us that girls opt out of um, STEM and technical careers as young as six years old. So something that happens between five and six with young people, girls believe that they're similar in terms of capability at maths when they're five, but when they turn six, something changes and they think they're not as good, even though nothing in their grades have changed. Um, in my experience teaching, teaching IT, you know, information technology at university for many years, I would have 10% you know, women in the room. That 10% of women were top of the class in terms of grades but they would leave at the end of the course because they didn't want to be the only woman in the room or they didn't want to take on the roles that they were given by, you know, the majority in the team. So certainly the women, and I hear stories like this almost on a weekly basis of, of you know, a female engineer, you know, university being told that she can't use the drill in her mechanical engineering degree because she's, you know, acts a little bit dissy and she's not capable, even though she's blitzing all the guys in terms of her grades. So there's this this unconsciousness in the workplace often that that sort of weeds women out, that pushes them out. And sometimes it's like, it's just too hard. I just, is it worth fighting for every single day? And uh, all the women in, in, in STEM and, and technology particularly, they're all pretty exceptional. And because they kind of have to be, they have to have worked twice as hard to be there. And, and so that, that's very frustrating. So how do we get everyone to be included? How do we bring everyone along and find a place for them? And get rid of those outdated stereotypes. So I don't know if you realize, but the first programmer in the world was a woman back in the 1800s. So we have Ada Lovelace. That's interesting. I'm assuming that wasn't a Apple Mac uh, in the 1800s. So what was she programming? Quite, quite. So it was Ada Lovelace back in the 1840s. And she worked with Charles Babbage on his analytical engine, which was essentially the first um, calculator. So the first computer. And she made it so much better. And his point is the first um, programmer in the world. Uh, we had Hedy Lamarr in the 1920s. She was a Hollywood screen goddess and she invented the basis for Wi-Fi that we use every single day and what we call spread spectrum, which is um, embedded in all of the defense systems we use around the world every single day. She did that in a spare time as a Hollywood screen goddess. And so then we have Grace Hopper in the 1950s who, you know, basically invented modern computing with building the latest sort of um, computer languages. So you've got women in history who've done incredible things. And then in 1984, we, we brought PCs into our home. And what happened in 1984, there was a, such a great marketing campaign out of the US from uh, Radio Shack. So, you know, like um, a Dick Smith kind of uh, technology company. And they had a campaign that said, dads, grab your sons and come and grab a PC. So dads bought, went and bought a PC computer. They put it in the boys' room at home and girls never got access to it anymore. Ooh. And the campaign was so good that... You know, then hacking came about, you know, it was all the, you know, the, the hacking and all the evilness and all the guys involved in that. And this whole culture of, if you look at all the movies from the eighties of, you know, weird science and anything involved with technology, it was always nerdy guys. Right. And, and, you know, women are sort not for me anymore. So there's a very clear evidence that women definitely left these industries back in the eighties and we've never quite recovered. And so the way I see it is we've created this problem. We can absolutely fix it. Well, actually, when you explain that, you almost think it's quite short-termist. This, isn't be, this hasn't so. been a permanent issue or well-proven issue. And I, I, when you were talking about Grace Hopper and all of those examples, they're really good examples of problem-solving. And we've all got brains that are used to problem-solving in so many different fields. Why not apply that to technology, I think? 
Absolutely. Uh, and particularly young people, because again, it, and for us, it's about young people solving young people's problems because I don't know what problems young people have. I don't have children. I can't help to solve them. Let's get them on board and fix it. Let's fix what's important to them and get them to lead the change. Incredible. I'd love to actually join the tech girls movement, but we'll come on to that because I'm wondering if tech woman movement, you know, is basically the same thing. Absolutely. We have a role for you. We look for mentors and you would be perfect. Excellent. Okay. We'll watch this space. <laughs> Now, we're, we're talking to you um, with a few weeks until STEM Fest. Well, this whole event looks incredible. It's running in Sydney in February 2023. I wondered if you could talk through what the event is, what the purpose of it is, and what your hopes for it is as well. Amazing. Thanks, Hannah. So, yes, STEM Fest, we're, I think, about 29 days away. It's really exciting to be hosting it in Sydney. And so I've been talking about the lack of women in technology specifically and more broadly STEM for more than 20 years. So I've been researching it for 22 years, I think now. And so I kind of understand what the problem is and how to fix it. And we've certainly done that through the Tech Girls Movement Foundation over the last 10 years. For me, uh, I'm kind of sick of talking about the lack of women in tech because I, I feel like I've talked about it forever. And certainly the conversations 20 years ago were, why do we need more women in tech? And we're not having those conversations anymore, which is awesome. We've now moved to the conversation of, um, how do we get more women in tech, which is great. And so the fact we've moved along a little bit, I'm, I'm now looking at like, who else are we leaving behind? And I've been very fortunate uh, in my team. I have been working with someone who has a severe disability for the last four years. And I say I'm very fortunate in that I've learned so much from her in terms of how can she actively contribute to a workplace and be valued for her brains and not be limited by her physical capacity. So for me, uh, it's, she's so incredible. Um, Amy on my team, if you ever come across Amy, she, she's amazing. And it's just, uh, for me, finding about how I can be a good employer. What, how can I employ people who maybe can't have a different circumstance in life and not as privileged as I am? And how do we make the most, not make the most of them, but help them contribute actively to things that they care about? So I'm so fortunate to have found Amy and uh, we, she's in Canberra, I'm in Brisbane, we work remotely. So honestly, it doesn't affect our daily life at all. Um, and for her, I think it's a bit of a leveler because people don't realize when she's on the screen that she has a disability. So if they can't physically see the wheelchair, for instance. So I guess for me, I'm, I'm hoping to share some of those experiences through STEM Fest and, and talk with other employers. And so many employers want to create a diverse workforce, but they don't know where to start. Like, well, do I put in a wheelchair ramp? Will that fix everything? Well, no, it won't because there are other things. You, like, how do you find people? Like, there are a whole bunch of conversations you need to have. How do we hire trans people? How do we work with people who are neurodiverse? Um, I think there's such a broad range of people that we're just missing out on uh, in the technology space, particularly. We need them part of it. So the conversations beyond gender um, is the conversation at STEM Fest. And how do we find the people we're leaving behind and have the right conversations to hopefully shift the dial? Because we've been talking about this for far too long in terms of gender. But yes, it's we're all together and we can all create the world better. I read recently that the New South Wales government were actually really proactively looking at what do we need to do to change, you know, bring more people with disabilities in, you know, because you think, why, why is that so difficult? And in your view, is that a lack of understanding around how as an employer and what do you hope or have you got some speakers that can assist employers around that area? Yeah, I, I think it's a number of things. And I think part of it is firstly, just sometimes workplace culture. Um, we've always done things a certain way. So it's difficult. So I work with a teacher who has a lot of students with special needs and I love her, her way of, of approaching this in that, uh, to get to assembly, there's a set of stairs or there's a ramp. And so of course the children, uh, with disabilities will take the, the ramp. 
But she, she takes all the children up the ramp because we all should be going that way because one person can't come up the stairs. None of us should be going up the stairs. And for me, that's a really nice analogy of how can we just, uh, yeah, examine how we do things on a day-to-day basis. And I think we're quite exclusionary without realizing it. It's that unconscious bias that kicks in and we don't realize. So it does really take an active effort. I mean, even talking with Amy, we go to the social event, everyone's standing, she's sitting. She doesn't really want to look at that part of everyone's body all night, but you know, no one, we don't actually sit down. So I guess some basic things like that to make people feel comfortable in the workplace. And on the other side of that, I mean, the research tells us that hiring someone with a disability in your workplace, workplace culture is so much more positive. Everyone feels much more, um, you know, collectively uh, engaged in the organization. So there's a lot of benefits for bringing other people on board. Fantastic. And also I'm imagining that we need so many different perspectives to build new technologies. And I suppose to improve technologies as well, is your hope that we could build in a more diverse way, more people from different backgrounds into the tech space? Absolutely. If we all look the same, we all think the same. Okay. So like group think is real and we definitely need to have different people sitting at the table. So an example, uh, I was chatting with someone who works with um, children and like a kid's helpline. And so they decided to bring some kids in the room to talk to them about how they use their service. So that as I was chatting to them, they'd never actually spoken necessarily with kids face to face before, even though they were providing a service for children. They brought them in and the first thing that occurred to them was the children were like, okay, 40 seconds of the disclaimer at the beginning makes me kind of want to hang up. And, you know, of course that's a legal thing, but you know, that, that was the feedback. And then what came out was they realized that children between eight and 12 almost don't have access to a public phone anymore. There's no phone in the household. There's no phone at school. There's no phone on the street. So if you're going to report something, how do you report it? Where is the phone that you use to call someone? You can't use your parents' phone. So, because possibly, you know, the situation, but something as simple as that, it's like, well, we've got a helpline for kids, but kids don't have anywhere to call us. Like, I would wow, never right? have thought about that. that. How would you know? You And to put yourself in an eight-year-old's shoes, how do you as a 40-year-old woman, you know, it, you really do not know. So that's really fascinating. So I think in terms of diversity, having so many different people at the table that we're just not talking about, uh, not bringing into the conversation can only make it better. Absolutely. And what does that agenda look like at STEMFest to encourage some of those conversations and also to gain some of those insights more broadly? Yeah, thank you, Hannah. I am so excited. Uh, to me, uh, STEMFest is my way of almost creating my ideal conference. So um, all my favorite people in the room that I want to hear from, and I figure if I want to hear from them, surely other people do as well. But I mean, we're kicking off on day one with Dr. Sue Black, who we're bringing out from the UK. And not dissimilar to our earlier conversation, Sue Black had worked on saving Bletchley Park. So Bletchley Park was a place in World War II in Northern London where the code breakers lived. It just, you know, eventually stopped the war. 80% of them were women. And most people, there were 10,000 people there. 8,000 women in tech worked in this space. Incredible. And they, they saved millions of lives by the technology that they decrypted. And we don't hear about these stories. And so she ran a campaign to save this whole rundown place. And there was a whole book about it. Stephen Fry was like tweeting her. She's incredible. She also runs a program, uh, Retraining Women into Tech for Tech Mums. So how do we get women later in life to come back into the industry? And we desperately need all of them. So that's kicking off on day one, which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, we've got Dr. Jordan Ewan at the end of day two. And Jordan mind-blowing. He's the nicest guy ever. So what Jordan does, he helps people with cerebral palsy, particularly control their wheelchairs with it, with their mind. Well, well, explain, explain. He creates technology. He basically um, hooks up their brain to the technology and helps them to control it based on their eye movements and things. He helped a young person drive a car. 
I think they crashed 29 times before they actually drove it to the end, but um, impressive. As we all do, uh, to be honest, when we're learning. Literally <laughs> using your eyes. Eye tracking, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I did watch a YouTube video the other day about the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I was just reading about it about 10 minutes ago, actually. They've really upped the game there with the amount of solutions for differently abled people. And I did see some things about eye tracking. So do you think that's an area that's going to grow in accessibility for people or is it expensive to access? Oh, I think, you know, a lot of um, mainstream technologies that we use every day come from the fringes. So they're developed for a very specialist minority group and then they become useful for everyone. So, you know, flatbed scanners that we used back in the day, they actually came because of, uh, like, I guess, trying to meet a need for people with disabilities and they became mainstream. So that very often happens. So, uh, yeah, so excited to have Jordan on the program. He actually helped a, a woman who wanted to play in a band, but she didn't have the motor skills to do it. So she liked to drum. He helped her hook up her brain to some drums and she played some music and ended up playing on stage at the Sydney Opera House with like her favorite band, controlling it with her brain. Like it's just wow, that's brilliant. Awesome. And sorry, what's Jordan's name? Jordan, Dr. Jordan Ewan. I think I saw him on my Qantas plane recently when I went to New Zealand. He's got a documentary on there. He's been on the ABC. He's truly a, an innovator and, a, you know, a trailblazer. I'm so excited to to learn more about, again, how can we just think outside our traditional ways of helping people and using technology to to enable people to do things that they're very capable of doing otherwise. Brilliant. I mean, Dr. Jordan, uh, sorry, Newton, was it? Uh, Newton, N-G-U-I-E-N. N-G-U-I-E-N, yes. And Dr. Sue Black, I mean, they sound, they've got science backgrounds. Have you got um, anyone from, what other backgrounds are the speakers from for STEMfest? Yeah, great question. And it's such a mix. Uh, we, have a, we have a clinical psychologist talking about neurodiversity. We've got someone who's an expert in AI talking about the latest um, technologies we have there. We've got some young people coming to talk. Uh, so we've got a real mix of people who are doing a whole range of things that I guess different parts of diversity. And I know first year round, we're not going to cover all the elements that, I mean, I guess we could, but I figure we have to start the conversation somewhere. What a great start. It's incredible. The lineup that you've got for year one, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I think so many people want to have this conversation. I think that's why people want to be part of this conversation. And, and I was partly motivated because I was at a conference last year and we were talking about the lack of women in tech and they were the same conversations I was having 20 years ago. I am really interested by a point that you made earlier around a group called Tech Mums. Fire and Forte is about women in their 40s going after what feels good to them. And there is this sense of an opportunity to make a fresh start. I wondered if you could share your views on transferable skills for people that have been raising children or have been in different careers or both. And if they want to move into a career in tech that some might say could have more flexibility, there could be opportunities to earn more money in this space. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. transferable skills do they need in your view to go about doing that? Firstly, we need you. <laughs> no question, we need you. And uh, often I have uh, employers in, of tech companies, particularly men, ask me, how do I get more women into my organization? And my, my first response is, hire mums. Mums are very capable. They're very good at doing multiple things. And yeah, that's my first advice. And those transferable skills, I don't think we, even I, I don't realize the skills that I have that I can and use in different ways. But I think find a champion, find a group of people and help each other. Know that you're capable and Talk to yourself like you talk to your best friend. I think that's really good advice. You think maybe there's any 
option to proactively go to employers to discuss tech roles? How could someone go about finding the right position or even maybe the right work experience? I think please do identify who aligns with your values and who would you like to maybe try to work with and approach them. I mean, honestly, what I have learned over so many years of being an entrepreneur, the worst the least worst thing someone can say is no. To be honest, when they don't say anything, is even more frustrating than just say no and I can move on. And in some ways, like you may have said, it's a bit of a numbers game. So throw it out there to as many people possible. You, you throw out 100, you're going to get 10 hits, right? That's kind yeah. of just how it works. So, so and not just saying dilute what you do, but, but find those that, that align with you and, and approach. And I've, I've certainly had men say to me, oh, if uh, a female on my team comes and asks for a promotion, I almost just give it regardless because they only ask me when they really, really, really think they're worthy and they're worthy like probably three years before. So I immediately say yes. So that's in their head, but they don't know how to go out and approach and, and be proactive. So definitely ask. Um, now, you talked about being brave and courageous yourself over the last 10 years. And, you know, over the last 20 years, looking at your CV, you've, boldly in my mind formed where you've seen an opportunity and when you've seen a need you've created that thing that doesn't exist maybe you could give a few examples of what those are um, to our audience and then also if you could explain how you had the guts to go about doing that mm, yes i need to think about the second part of that uh, still learning that one every day uh so I, I guess probably one of the things i'm most proud of is the tech girls movement foundation we uh, launched in 2014, so technically we have our 10-year anniversary this year of 10 years of programs. And I was you know, one of a few women in my own information technology degree a few decades ago. Uh, I was fortunate to have a few lecturers who were looking at the lack of women in tech as a research project back in 2000, so I came on board. I learned research skills, and I also got to understand the fact that I was in the minority and why that was a problem. I guess I kind of knew it, but I didn't realize the importance of it. So starting to research, uh, looking at girls in schools, looking at women at university, looking at industry, that pipeline. So where do we lose them? We call it a bit of a leaky pipeline. We, we often will get women in, but then we lose them. So if we get them, then, then we, we push them out as well. So being able to turn that into something, so turning research into practice was something I'm pretty proud of, which doesn't often happen. Research often sits over here in the, in, in, you know, the upper echelons, but let's actually make it practical. So Tech Girls uh, was about, you know, there's two main reasons why girls opt themselves out of tech and it's a lack of, you know, visible female role models and a lack of understanding of what technologists do. So you know what a doctor does, you know what a lawyer does, but what does a technologist do? So I created a series of books called Tech Girls Are Superheroes and they profile uh, real life women in tech. There's been a few editions of them. Uh, real life women in STEM roles as superhero characters who change the world. And so they all have a superpower and they take that and make the world a better place. And the short fiction stories, every superhero's avatar, I'm Joella. Um, I have a jewel that I, you know, find in outer space and I bring it back and it's a clean energy source and I, you know, save the world. But a fun way to engage kids in storytelling, adventure, um, you know, seeing yourself and role models are so important to be able to, if you can't see it, you can't be it. It's, it's really difficult. So it's like, if I can do this, you can do this. So showing young people that, I guess just the aspirational, like I can change the world. Yes. If I'm a superhero and it's incredible when I talk to young people, I will say to them like, can you do X technically? And they'll go, oh no, I can't do that. I say, but if you're a superhero, how would you do it? And they're like, oh, these are the 10 ways that I would do it. 
So there's something about having that extra strength that you, you know, externally you get, whether it's a piece of jewelry, whether it's a great pair of shoes, whether whatever it is to, to take that on board and go out and hopefully um, use your skills for good. And it's not about being good at everything, but finding that one thing that you're ultimate and, and using it to take that out to the world. So Tech Goals is, is very cool. We've had 14,000 girls hands-on in our program in the last 10 years. They've all done some kind of STEM entrepreneurship. It's about young people solving young people's problems. And mostly they do that through apps. So we've had thousands of apps built by girls um, to solve problems in their community. And the future is really bright. Girl, young people are pretty cool. And, and we just need to give them something they care about and off they go. Congratulations on 10 years for Tech, Girl, Tech Girls yeah. Movement and for authoring, authoring a book and for all of those apps that have been created. That's both really encouraging to know that people have had, girls have had hands-on experience, but also the way in which you explain it is enthralling. It's exciting. It's actually, wouldn't you want to jump out of bed to solve a problem as opposed to maybe it's regarded as sat in a boring office behind a computer? No, it's solving problems. What kind of, you, you mentioned problems that affect young people. Did you give them those as a case study and what kind of problems were you giving to them to think about? Yeah, great question, Hannah. Um, and I, one of the things that works most well with the program is the girl that actually choose the problem they want to solve. So we don't give them a problem. And so often in school, you're told what to do. In this way, they get to choose. So for instance, we've had young people build apps to help the other, other young people learn about cybersecurity, for instance, uh, or to learn Auslan or to um, help with fast fashion and, and share clothing and, and, you know, save the environment. Uh, we had a great app last year called Kindness Kitchen, which um, if you had food that you wanted to donate, you could look on a map and it would, you put your postcode, it would show you where you can go, go and donate food in the local area. So uh, it's, it's, sometimes the problems are very personal around mental health, well-being, anxiety. It could be something around your school, around lost property, you know, buses, uh, homework. It, it's sometimes broader than that around single-use plastics, cybersecurity, a whole range of different things. And it's really interesting to see year after year the, the problems that change. And so pre-COVID, there were quite a lot of cyber, cyber bullying apps. And then during COVID, we had almost no cyber bullying apps. And I think the whole context changed. And so it's really interesting to check that over time. And also our girls, they have to align the problems they solve with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So it's really great for them to think more globally about what they're doing and how important it is. There's so much in that that is interesting. The fact that you're getting a feedback loop around what young people are experiencing. And then you're also seeing the way in which young people are thinking about solving that is, is an interesting reflection of our times, isn't it? And also where you think, well, where can we step in? If you work in business, if you've had exposure to, let's talk about cyberbullying, for example. Uh, I've got friends with children and many of them are saying to me at the moment, I'm getting so upset seeing how worried they are to conform, to lose weight, to wear so much makeup. I mean, also we've all been there, um, but they're so concerned about that. And one of my friends said the other day, every day I say to my daughter, social media is not real. I need you to know it's not real. So there's some kind of I'd like to think that there's maybe some combination between the wisdom of being 20 years older than a teenager and also a teenager being able to share what these issues are. And do you think there's some more solutions that we can somehow find together? 
Oh, absolutely. No question. And, and, you know, we talk about banning technology in schools and things like that. That's absolutely not the answer. It's how do we harness it for good? How do we use it in a responsible way? Use it to solve problems and not just be distracted by it. I think any technology has that potential. Knowing that that's what people do, how can we send positive messages? How can we use it to solve problems rather than just distracting people and taking them down a rabbit hole um, and, you know, makeup and things like that. So that's, that's fine, but let's use it in a useful way that actually hopefully benefits people. I don't think we're tapping into that. We're just mindlessly using it at the moment in a lot of ways, but let's turn that around. And when you find a problem that you've realized matters to you in your community, you've got a personal interest and, and you know, agency over that, that makes all the difference. There's a nice list of examples that you've given around tech for good, around the kindness kitchen and the various solutions that you've talked about fast fashion. So if you don't mind, I would uh, love to include maybe some links of some of the interesting work that you've seen after this, and we can link that to this interview. Fabulous. Thank you. Amazing. Now, you can't avoid the second question because on a personal point, I'm wondering, if women in their 40s are watching this and we're thinking, I have actually got something that's burning inside of me that I think is really important. You had the guts to set up the Tech Girls movement 10 years ago. How did you have the guts? And then what were the first steps that you took to actually making it happen? Yeah, and I love that you say guts because some people might say madness. <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of madness to any kind of innovation and, and it does take that. And I remember being at a conference many years ago and seeing Todd Sampson, who's one of our, you know, TV celebrities in Australia. He's a really interesting guy. And he was on stage talking about how he started Earth Hour and what made him different to everyone else and what made him brave. And he said, I literally stand up for five minutes longer than everyone else does. And for me, that was a game changer. It's like, I, I, I don't have to be a hundred times braver than everyone else. I just have to be five minutes braver than everyone else. And I can probably handle five minutes braver. So for me, that was, I don't have to be that much different, just a little bit different. I probably take more risks than most people just because I'm in a position where I can. But in saying that, I mean, I didn't pay myself the first four years running an opera profit, but I was teaching on the side. I made sure I had an income so I could make enough two days a week so I could do what I was passionate about the other three days a week and sort of really built that up over time. So it took time, but I was trying to be at least a little bit strategic to have my bases covered so I could have some income, but then also have a bit of freedom to go where I wanted to go. So that in itself, um, I mean, it, it's never easy. It's a roller coaster. Some days you feel amazing. I can do anything. Other days you're like, oh, you just like knocked it out of me. How did that happen? You know, I missed out on some massive grants yesterday. It was like, you're waiting for a year. Okay. Let's, let's recalibrate and see what, where we are now. So it, it's certainly not easy, but it's definitely worthwhile. And having champions around you, having good people around you is probably the best thing that I can suggest. Having great uh, role models, having people you can call uh, and people that think like you. One of my board members, she thinks so different to me and I love it. And every time I call her, she's going to go, no, no, no. How about this? It's like, I would never have thought about that. And I love that so much because that's the only way that I grow. I don't want people to all agree with me. That's not helpful at all. And, and. Probably the best bit of advice I can give is I'm a big fan of what I call the 80% rule. So as long as I get something 80% right, I'm okay with that. I have to be okay with that because otherwise I never get anything done. If I have to wait for 100%, it never happens. And you know what? That other 20% is just sitting in your own head. Other people don't realize they're not thinking that. So if you can do 80%, you're smashing it. So um, let a little bit go. You're never going to be perfect. Done is better than perfect. And give you, just give it a go, right? Give it a go. 
That's great advice. Thinking that it's only five minutes longer as well makes you just break it down, doesn't it? I only have to stand up for longer, five minutes longer. And at the end of the day, if within that time or in that action that I do, I make a little bit of a mistake, that is so much more than I could have done. Rather try it than die wondering, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And what's the worst thing? If you ask a question, the worst thing they can say is no, doesn't matter. Like if you never ask, you never get the yes. Yeah, brilliant. It's very inspiring, I think, because so many times we can end up in a career or a situation where we're not inspired. And actually to do something that you believe in, yes, for 20 years, you've been talking about trying to get more women and girls into tech. However, you're seeing these increments all the time. And I genuinely, optimistically, new to this space, I suppose, believe that, you know, you're going to see more and more traction from business because STEMfest this year, especially with the introduction of AI, you know, you mentioned that to me earlier before we started this call, everything that's happening with Web3, etc., I do wonder if you've got an, an exceptionally ripe audience. Uh, what's your view of that? Are you, are you getting those kind of responses from, from industry or concerns maybe about AI and evolving technologies? Oh, absolutely. I think you're right. It's perfect timing. And we have Rita Arago, who's on our day three, and she her, she works for CSIRO. She's running the National AI Center. She's just started that role and I'm super excited to see I guess from that perspective of someone who's working in our largest science organization in Australia, what's their vision for AI in the future and how can we be utilizing it and how do we find ways of embracing it? And I guess what a lot motivates me in the SenseFest space is um, around AI. And uh, we know that there are so many AI, sorry, AI applications out there now that, are, that have so much unconscious bias built into them. So for instance, the world's biggest companies, they all pretty much use AI to look through CVs. So the first round of CVs comes through, the AI scans it. Usually the AI is built by, you know, young white guys between 18 and 35, just, just saying that's what who most software developers are. And they're looking for keywords that those guys would use. And a lot of women applying for jobs aren't using those keywords. So they just get pushed out of the whole application process in the first round because of the keywords they've used in their application. That's not okay. That is not okay. They get a two minute, you know, a response immediately that says, oh, you're not suitable for this job. No one has actually looked at that. It's been, you know, some computer code and some keywords that have made that decision. That's not a good reason for women to be kept out of that conversation and that, that opportunity for roles. So I've seen that many, many years and that's just compounding and it seems to further marginalize groups that are already marginalized. So with what's happening now with AI, there's so much potential to even further marginalize groups uh, that are vulnerable. So we absolutely need to jump in now and find ways to, to remove some of that bias. Also begs the question that if you're working in an organization at the moment who is looking at a tech technological project, ask the question who's involved in the project maybe, mm -hmm. because you can give a different perspective if you're a female, if you're neurodiverse, if you've got any kind of different background, maybe mm -hmm. there is something that's already happening in your workplace that could you know, you might not have to jump ship all together and change jobs, but maybe there's something in the organization that you're already working in that would be worth asking about. Absolutely. Ask the question. Ask the question. I think no one really knows what questions to ask right now. So just keep talking about it. Yeah, yeah that's a good, good point. And can we have some positives around technology? Because I swing between, I really liked all of this is really important, but I wondered 
I mean, I'm super interested in the metaverse. I know it's a lot of hype at the moment. I've attended an NFT fest, however, and found out that just honestly, the audience there was so diverse that he thought, this is different. I do think that this, the people interested in this are could potentially build a very different form of the internet as it evolves. I wondered if you could share anything or a number of things that maybe excite you most about that space, whether it's Web3 or, or various technologies that you think are interesting. Mm, uh, technology is such a, it, it's such a democratizer. So it helps to level the playing field. It can help people who don't have the help otherwise. And, and just to go back to the chat GPT conversation a little bit, I saw a great example of how we can use that te technology to basically create responses for legal cases. So if you've got you know, a traffic offense, and often that will be for someone who doesn't have legal representation, they can use the AI to actually create an argument for them and they can use that in court to uh, put that forward. And uh, there's some social justice organizations out there that are using that right now. And I love that. I think to help people, again, who we're leaving behind, who don't have access, don't have the money to use a computer program to help us to create arguments to maybe save us money and whatever that might be. I, I love that application of technology. So I, I get, it's very easy to get to doom and gloom and, you know, big companies controlling the world and all of that. I think we kind of need to leave them aside and let's let them play their game. But innovation comes from grassroots. It comes from people having ideas, from caring about things in the world, from finding ways to put forward and make a difference. And again, just go back to the GPT conversation because I've been reading a lot about it. There was a, a young man who's created an app that actually now can check if your your conversation has been created by an AI. So it's creating these early kinds of innovations, which I just love. Like you wouldn't have had that otherwise if you didn't have that technology to start with. So yeah, it's not about banning things. It's about finding ways to embrace the technology and fix deficits. Like I don't want to necessarily be writing a newsletter every week. If I can get an AI to write my newsletter for me, why should I not be doing that? And how, why should I not be using my brain and my, my, my expertise in other ways that can make more of a difference than, you know, writing a newsletter, which is important, but not necessarily as important as other things I can be doing in the world. So definitely turning to young people for them in the education space right now and how they're going to be using this technology is super exciting on how they're going to use it to amplify the awesomeness that they do and um, not just make us into, you know, boring bots, which it has the potential to do that. I think it's almost the opposite. Like every technology is disruptive. Here's another one. And we turn it around and, and make it good for humanity in so many ways. It's an interesting point, actually, that if it takes away some of the more laborious tasks, where can you put your magic, your motivation, your personality, your drive? Because that can't be replicated by AI. And if there's any concern around the bots will take our jobs, actually, it could be that they take the laborious bits away, but you get to do. Yeah, that's a lovely point. Absolutely. And if you think back to like the 50s and the revolution of technology in the household and, you know, uh, in kitchens, particularly in laundries and things, and it, it basically freed up women to do other things. Uh, so they didn't have to spend so much time at home doing the chores. Well, you've got technology that will do half of that for you. You can go out and, and, and go to work and contribute to your family and feel empowered that you're, you're making a difference and follow your passion. So technology is such an enabler and it's really easy to get bogged down in the, the, the bad stuff, but so much possibility. Let's reframe it. So much possibility. 
A hundred percent agree. And you've given, you've given so many great examples that just really can remind you that it applies to all areas of life and get concerned about, the, you know, recycling and the climate, but actually just maybe even just having a think about what maybe exists already, what technology exists already to help, because there might already be an app somewhere, or if not, there could be something else coming. So that's really interesting and motivating to hear. Absolutely. And some of those apps are probably developed by some of our young people. <laughs> I, I was going to say, how can people get involved with Tech Girls or also STEM Fest as well? Yeah, thanks so much, Hannah. So Tech Girls, so techgirlsmovement.org, we'd love to have you. We will be launching our 2023 program on the 8th of March, International Women's Day, and we'll be calling for mentors. So we welcome all women as mentors, uh, and we certainly open up to our wider population for judging and so on. But if you just want to be inspired and you've got 12, you know, an hour a week for 12 weeks to meet with a young team of, of young people and just guide them through, you don't have to be an expert in app building. It's about being a positive role model and someone who wants to challenge some young people and work with them and, and help them find their potential. So we'd love to have you for that. And then SEMFest, 14th to 16th of February in, the, in Sydney at the Masonic Centre. Uh, registrations are open. Uh, our program's available. We're posting lots on LinkedIn and just trying to share such incredible talent on our program. Just sharing today, uh, we've got Dr. Kirsten Ellis from Monash University. She won the Eureka Prize last year for STEM inclusion. She's teaching young, she's teaching people, particularly young people uh, who have who have a vision impaired and people with intellectual disabilities, how to code using blocks and things. It's the coolest thing, uh, and you would never think that people, you know, so marginalised could actually actively participate in building technology. But we have a place for them when we need them. And so I'm so excited we get to build blocks and put them together and, and learn how, um, even from basics, we can build technology collectively and you know, empower everyone to be involved. We need everyone in the technology industry to create our digital futures. And I imagine that is C CEOs, HR teams. If you're, if you're hiring for roles in your business and your organization, it, it, coming along to STEM Fest could open up your eyes both to the different ways in which some of your technical problems could maybe be addressed? Absolutely. Again, it's broadening that conversation, like who, who have we got at the table and what ideas might they bring that we haven't even thought about? And there are so many possibilities. We need, we need so much, so many different people at the table to represent all parts of society. I'm very excited. I can't wait to share this conversation because I know that so many uh, have got experience in different areas that could help actually in the areas that, that you've mentioned. So thank you for your generosity and all of these examples that you can just pluck out is very impressive. So maybe you're already powered by AI. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the Janine bot actually, yes. So, well, you, you spotted it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the real Janine. Um, it's just world, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wondered if uh, we could just end with some words of wisdom from you. So firstly, what advice you might give to yourself as a 20 or 30 year old? And then secondly, if you were to give some advice to a 40 year old that's maybe feeling a bit stuck, they're looking to find their fire in the way that you've got this passion for your movement, what kind of wisdom or words would you, would you share? Yeah. Uh Again, amazing questions, Hannah. I think the first one would be you just have to ask. Don't be scared to ask. Uh, again, saying no is not a bad thing. Uh, a yes makes up for all the no's. And and yeah, just just give it. If you want something, ask for it. A little or small, 
give it a go. I mean, I met the Grand Duchess of Luxembourg. I literally sent an email to someone on a website, ended up getting a free trip to Europe and meeting the Grand Duchess. I gave her a cape, like a superhero cape, all of this amazing stuff, just from an email. I mean, of course, I've done the work behind it, but, but again, just giving it a go. Finding your champions, finding the people around you who believe in you, who can tell you how awesome you are, who, could, who you can go to on the days you're feeling down, who can push, you know, push you forward and, and support you. Uh, it, it's a really lonely journey without those people. So finding those champions, men and women around you. And a champion is different to a mentor. A champion is someone who will talk about how awesome you are when you're not even in the room. And so we all need those people to, to be there for us and um, stand up for us. So I, I think that's really important. And what would I say to my young, younger self? I think something I wish I learned a really long time ago was that pretty much everyone's making it up. I always thought everyone knew what they were doing and no one does. Everyone's making it up. And some people are just really, really good at pretending that they know what they're doing. They're really good at that. None of us do. And so I think give it a go. That's a fun with it you know treat it lightly it's a bit of a game in a way and and play it like a game and I know you know obviously money is important and having that you know foundation and so finding ways of doing that but then hopefully treat it a little bit lightly but find your people find your tribe find the people that, that you care about and that care about you and, and how can you work collectively to do something you know that that's important to you and if you care about it, if you've got the passion, that gets over a whole bunch of barriers. Janine, that's incredible because without a doubt, I can imagine when you're talking to people, they would say, you have got to use this talent and this passion. And then hopefully that re reassured you, encouraged you and gave you the guts that we spoke about earlier to actually go and achieve all of the things that you've achieved, of which you didn't even really get to cover this mad, amazing story about a grand duchess and a cloak. I mean, lots of them, stories. Oh, you know, we also Silicon Valley for four years. I had like nine-year-olds pitching their apps in Silicon Valley to Google, Facebook, the big companies and yeah, anything's possible, but just, just give it a go. And what's the worst that can happen? Honestly, give it a go. And if you get one yes out of, you know, nine no's, take the yes every time. You are such a great example of fire and forte. And thank you for those really motivating words. Uh, I look forward to seeing you virtually or in some other, hopefully in real life, um, at STEM Fest or sometime soon. Thank you so much, Janine. Thanks, Hannah. And thank you to your amazing community at Fire and Forte. Thanks for having me.